and welcome to the Shadow Playground. Yes, I love the name. <laughs> Thank you. It's so fun seeing you here. I'm really excited to dive into a conversation uh, together. Yeah, me too. This is a very alive topic for me these days. Yeah, play and shame and everything in between. Play and shame and everything. That seems like a good title for a book. I'll have to keep that in mind. <laughs> Play and shame and everything in between. <laughs> you can take it. You can take it? Okay. Yeah, free. you can take it. Just give me a free copy of the book. That's all I ask for. Nice. For people who don't know you at all, how would you describe yourself? Uh, just in a few words, what you like to do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love um, all forms of art and creativity, singing, poetry, dance um drawing doodling ritual tradition i i'm a big you know i'm obsessed with healing and what does it mean to heal and what does it mean to evolve um despite circumstance and yeah by trade, I'm a counselor and a somatic experiencing practitioner. Um, and yeah, a daughter, child of a um, of immigrant parents. That's yeah, queer, non-binary, whatever. Nice. Yeah. I'm happy to have all all the sides of you, all the parts of you here. Thank you. And I want to, we're definitely going to dive into the, some of those, yeah, those opportunities for flourishing and how that can look like different things for different people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to start just by asking you, what is a, what is a moment of play uh, for you as an adult uh, and also perhaps as a child? Oh, I love that. Um, a moment of play as an adult is dancing to house music um me and my best friend even before the pandemic just ritually would go to these one or two monthly house nights um and i'm also sober so there's this additional piece around like it feeling like play because i'm really into the music and i'm really kind of connected to my body moving um and i get to take that with me when i go home and i get to keep that with me when i wake up in the morning as well if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um when i was young i didn't actually dance a lot but i'm thinking now that i would weasel my way into like dance events at school like what was it called like talent shows yes i went to talent shows i remember dressing up dancing to music there yeah that was play for me when I was little as well. Oh, talent shows. Those, that, is a, that is a callback and it's being presenting something in front of so many people. It feels like this huge offering, like I'm doing, showing my talent in front of everyone. Yeah, I don't even remember. I don't even have memories of the actual events, but I have memories of rehearsals with bandmates or something like i remember being a spice girl once like in elementary school um and i don't even remember the actual event isn't that interesting it's just the rehearsals and like the practicing that was so fun for me mm, like the process itself which, which yes nice yes your microphone yeah. by the way it touches a little bit your shirt sometimes oh and thanks it's, yeah it's totally fine oh, yeah perfect Oh, wow. You have a little clip that you're, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I have a solution for this. <laughs> <laughs> is that better? Yeah, that's, that's okay. It's, it's actually is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's a solution to every problem. As... Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, you were sharing while we were preparing for this, this uh, podcast episode, you shared the story of having a really, um, a moment of coming to truth with um, a partner around having this list of playful, playful ideas and concepts. I wondered if you feel comfortable sharing this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, okay, so what I was saying before was 
yeah so me and my partner we were you know he's also a very like artistic person and um at some point we'd have an idea and we'd be like oh yeah we should do this thing and it'd be so cool if like you know we we made music together um or another time it was like oh it'd be so cool if we could like make a, a music video out in nature or it would be so cool if we made like a collage or you know if we did some art or if we you know did some fashion design together and it was like at some point it was like okay well hold on a second why are we not doing any of these things and this list just keeps getting like very long and there's no momentum actually happening in real time and a couple of times I even was like yeah let's do that right now and I could see him like recoil and like kind of be like oh not like I didn't mean now and it's like well when then when are we going to do the weird thing that we keep saying we want to do and and then that kind of got me started on this conversation around like play and 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 shame also like what gets in the way of what's getting in the way actually to spontaneously erupt into play we've got the time we've got a you know a space for it but it was like something internal was really getting in the way and showing up um and so yeah that that's kind of the conversation that him and i were having um and then very closely after, like, I think the next day or like even that evening or something, we had a conversation again about it. And then I got that message from you about potentially being on the podcast. And I was like, oh, wow, the timing of that. Yes, because I because I really do want to break out of that, um, that sort of like cerebral wish and want. But then the actual embodied experience is like quite scared. And there's a lot of like bracing and fear. Um, mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's what started that conversation well, and thank you for sharing that story I, I can connect with it so much it's like this list of all the places I'll travel all the funny quirky things I'll do I think it's gonna happen and then in the moment we're like right now in this very moment let's do it and then just like that you said that recoiling like ah exactly like a snake or something it's like how dare you no exactly. no these are strictly intellectual things this is an idea but not going to be embodied not going to happen we're going to stay safely here so what do you think is when you were exploring that question like what's getting in the way what's blocking this what came up for for both of you oh i mean what i remember from it is that it is just so vulnerable to be seen in a way where there is the possibility of being evaluated by another person or a group of people for something that is so heart-centered and so raw and there's no formula of doing it right like if i'm performing at work let's say there's a methodology that i can follow to more or less get it right. There's also like a training and a certification and a lot of like ego protecting cerebral, you know, infrastructure that gives me a confidence to be able to show up and do that work. But if I just want to jam and make some weird sounds out of my mouth or make some weird dance moves that are coming from this like organic embodied place because the music is making my system do something. It just feels so raw and vulnerable. Mm. Um, and there's also no way to quote unquote, like back it up with a with a methodology or to say like well this is what i was doing and here's why i was doing it and there's a whole philosophy behind it like go google it like there's just nothing it's like <laughs> it's like you know for example like i have a lot of friends that are rappers and freestylers and poets and writers and so if, if i'm going to cyphers and i'm seeing people just freestyling top of the dome doing whatever's coming out of their head if I get invited into something like that, I'm in such a freeze response because I just have no idea if what I'm going to say is going to sound ridiculous, silly, stupid. So there's a confidence there that I just do not have. Um, 
And similarly, like with dancing, you know, I have to some degree a confidence that I have cultivated of, of, you know, being able to dance, like I was saying, sober in a, in a dance space. But I remember a couple of years ago, um, I was dancing like in a corner kind of obscurely and this amazing dancer kind of created a cipher. So like he created a circle where people could come in, do a move and leave. And he pointed at me, he saw me like feeling the vibe in the corner. But as soon as I felt like I was being seen, the, the flow was gone. And he like called me into the cipher. He was like pointing and like kind of trying to like bring me in. And I just like shook my head and was like, no. And then he pointed at me again and was like, come on, like get in here. I see you grooving. And I was like, no, 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 I possibly can't. And then he was like, he shrugged and then like did some amazing moves and then like peaced out. And like, we became very good friends after because I like went up to him and I was like, thank you for seeing me. And also that was terrifying. And he was like, yeah, I saw you like dancing and feeling the vibe. But as soon as I was seen, it, 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 it just changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's something there about being seen that, and I think my partner, um, would agree like similarly like you know he is an amazing beat maker um he's an amazing illustrator and paint like paints and draws beautiful things just such a creative human being and it's always this like scuttling kind of like response of being acknowledged and seen in a big way um yeah so there's something about that mm. yeah I'm hearing, I hear that also you mentioned this notion of chaos. There's no frame. There's no frame for why am I doing this or is it good or bad? So there's that real risk. It's so vulnerable. And like you said, you're being looked at. And it was interesting in this case, you were dancing, you were in the flow and suddenly everyone looks at you and you're like, no, no, no. Like, okay, the flow is gone. The flow <laughs> the is that gone. I was experiencing is gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It makes me think of all those, that sense of being in danger and the, those, those classic sort of fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses of just when it's like, I'm in mortal danger because yeah. I might be, you know, being looked at or I'm being evaluated or judged. And it makes me have a lot of empathy for people who are wanting to, wanting to express themselves, wanting to share something or maybe take a risk, but maybe it feels like terrifying, even with a partner who loves you and you love, but even in that moment or even alone with even no one watching alone. you, it could still feel terrifying. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're touching on something like very um, instinctual and reptilian that for some of us has become woven even into our adult life or woven into sometimes our, our identity as well. Like, you know, the discernment between am I in danger or am I safe is such a big question that I'm contemplating a lot as like a queer racialized person. It's like, moving through the world as a woman, moving through the world as brown, I'm like, am I safe or am I in danger all the time? It's always like a constant assessment. Am I safe or am I in danger? And yeah, you don't really know the answer to that, right? Like I can think, I can think in very easily, like five instances where I thought I was safe in a, you know, a, a dance on a dance floor in a club and then something very bizarre happens and it's just like things go sideways. Right. And so how, how to like discern, how does, how does our nervous system discern between, oh, I'm being seen in a way that's safe and I can like really let myself like really let my guard down essentially and let my vulnerable heart and my soul come through in this creative way or, oh my God, I could never do that. Like, I don't, like I could be judged, but underneath that, like cerebrally, I know consciously, I know I'm not going to be judged but it's an, it's almost like a somatic bodily fear that has like somehow gotten intertwined because of other experiences. Um, so how to like kind of uncouple that, like being seen and I'm safe and I can be creative and I can be loved and held for that versus like being seen. And now all of a sudden I'm in danger mm. and I need to protect myself and defend myself. Like th th those are like, there's a thin line separating those two things. 
Well, I hear that it's actually, it's legitimate. Like the fear response is legitimate. There's been moments when you've been heart, heart open. I think many of us have experienced your hearts open. You're loving it. You're like, I'm sharing. And someone gives you a look, they make a comment or you're kind of like pushed to the side and suddenly it's like, yeah. And so that I, I think it's, it's worth, it's worth really honoring that part of you that wants to protect or of ourselves rather that wants to protect us. Yeah. Because there, there are moments when we are hurt, especially as you were mentioning with all the layers of identity that we're carrying in this world and how other people interface with us in those layers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think like this is, it's interesting that you're, you're speaking about like the legitimacy of the, 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 the protection and like the kind of the fight response or the flight response, because the kinds of body movements I like to do are very like staccato sharp movements that feel protective. So like if I'm dancing to house, it's like I'm open and I'm loosey goosey and my heart. So, you know, a house is gospel. It's like, you know, it's, it's neo gospel. It's like, you know, you're channeling love, freedom, connection, community. So in those spaces, I feel like even more vulnerable if there was like some kind of cipher or being like seen, but if I imagine, you know, going into a space where it was like crump or popping where it's like a lot of staccato sharp angles and movements. Um, it's a different vibe. It's still creative. It's still play, but it's like play. That's also like, don't mess with me. And like, I'm going to show like, it's almost like the way you mold that Play-Doh is in, into something that feels kind of weapony. Mm -hmm. um, so oh, that's, yeah. I'm wondering for because um, there's it's, there's almost like a model here of like trying something out and what's the feedback right what's the feedback from the immediate environment mm -hmm. and if it's supportive you're like okay I can keep going deeper here the sort of uh, spiraling sort of heart circle of sorts for you um, do you have a moment when you've really been able to put something out there uh, creatively and you've received that message back being like this is safe do you have any any moments that, like that you'd like to share? Hmm. Yeah, I would say singing, like being able to sing in jams with friends. I'm thinking about last year, we had this sweet little backyard jam with uh, my roommate, who's like a multi-instrumentalist and a friend who lived down the street is like an amazing poet. And um, we all just were like sitting around and we had this fun idea of like somebody picks a theme and then somebody has to sing or rap or whatever about that theme and yeah it was just so nice to be able to do that and have to feel safe enough but i'm also realizing now that it was like all people of color and i'm thinking about the last time i felt that way and it was a cipher with pretty much all people of color as well. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something there, not even, I wasn't even conscious of it, but I think my nervous system recognizes, yeah, this deeper layer of safety, like your song, your content, your voice um, is welcome here. Yeah. Something beautiful about knowing who are the people that you perhaps not even on a conscious level wasn't on, conscious. On conscious level you just feel like oh yeah i can let go like i'm just you get me i'm here yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah. yeah how do you you spoke about some of these different layers of identity you know culture sexuality ethnicity class uh, gender personality all those things how do you mm -hmm. how do you think that uh, influences um, our ability to show up um, playfully in life. How do those, those, those layers or the intersectionality of those layers affect uh, our ability to show up playfully in life? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it can, I feel like it can impact everything. Like those identities impact everything. You know, I'm thinking about going back to the Spice Girls talent show. Of course I was Scary Spice. I was the only brown person. I wasn't even black. I'm a brown person, but they were like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna have to be Scary Spice because that's the only role that I think is 
you know, and it just kind of like, I'm looking back now and I didn't even think about it, but it was like, oh yeah, there was just things set for me that, um, <laughs> I remember at another, I did a, I did a play. Um, oh my gosh, this is so funny. I did a play when I was in high school. That was like a play on Jacques Cartier. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think I always like felt a lot more masculine, even when if I didn't have language for it, like I had no idea, like, you know, this is pre social media times and whatever. I just remember feeling like very, not like a girl. And um, I was given the role of Jacques Cartier, but like the old version, like the old man version. <laughs> and then I'm like fast forward thinking of like in high school, um, I was in a musical called Into the Woods and I, I auditioned for being like the witch, you know, and it's just like, and, and the Into the Woods, one of the, one like the Broadway, like renewal of it, it was Vanessa Williams that was the witch. So I felt so like, oh yeah, okay, I can do this. Like my voice is deeper than a lot of like the princesses or whatever that are going to like, you know, audition. And so I do think like gender, race, certainly class all play a part on how I have felt like I can show up to creative and artistic things. Um, and then there's this additional layer of like, even if I don't have those kinds of limits or directives imposed on me when I was growing up, they were, there was definitely a limit to how much art and creativity I was permitted to do in my family, right? It was like, art doesn't bring in money, creativity doesn't bring in money, like we immigrated here to like give you a better life, we don't want you to be some like artsy bum, you know, it was like so much kind of like going into sciences, going into being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, which like I speak to so many like folks, racialized, you know, people whose parents immigrated here. And it's like, oh, yeah, doctor, lawyer, engineer, right, because there's so much, there's so much to lose, right, when your parents have sacrificed so much to arrive here and they've also suffered so much trauma to leave it's like where's the room for play in that where's the room for like just play and creativity so i feel like i'm emerging into that now and honoring also like maybe the ways in which my parents couldn't even really continue their versions of play and creativity because they had also like so much pressure on themselves to, to, to make it here and to survive, right? So it's, it's a big question what you're asking. And I don't know if that answers what you're asking, but it's like everything, like it, it impacts everything. All these identities impact in a multitude of ways, our access to play and creativity and, and rest also, right? Which is where I think play can emerge from creativity can emerge from just being able to be bored mm. and like to just dilly dally on a day and like, you know, be like, oh, I'm going to sing a song or whatever. But if everything is, you know, there's so much pressure to achieve and that continues even in adult life, right. Um, for, for so many of us. Yeah. It's, that's, that's what's coming, coming up for me in that. Well, it sounds like literally everything and how you're invited to show up in the world, actually. And it sounds like there's a lot of like that, those layers of suffering or sort of streamlined, normal, like normalized paths that are, aren't really leaving space for stepping outside or for a playful spirit because you're like, no, I need to be doing X, Y, and Z, or this is the role that I'm being given. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really important to name those things because it'd be very easy to show up to a space and be like, everyone, let's play. And, and then people are like, wait a minute, you're not conscious at all of like how this is so unsafe for me on so many levels for a whole number of reasons, not just me, but generations past. Um, oh, so yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, I'm being reminded of when I started doing contact improvisation dance. Yeah. Which I absolutely love. And... Oh, yeah, which I absolutely love. Um, and I remember, I remember, yeah, <laughs> I, 
I remember going to like the, the, the gymnasium where like the contact improv event was happening. And I just walked the perimeter of the space like 10 times, just like taking in the room. I felt like kind of a skittish cat that like wasn't ready to enter the dance space. Um, and I, and yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, there's just like many, many, many ways where I would, a part of me is orienting towards play and creativity. And then there's another part that's just petrified. And that's what I grapple with, I think. Um, that's why it feels so alive is like, I really want that scale to tip and I want to feel brave enough to see what happens if I, you know, <laughs> sing a strange song or dance or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, I think one of the reasons that, you know, play has this emancipatory side to it because underneath it is a prerequisite for safety. And it, that safety needs to be so deeply etched into the relationships, into the container, into everything mm -hmm. for that to feel okay for everyone. But until mm -hmm. that safety and trust is there, it just won't happen. Um, and- Wow, yeah. Does that bring up anything for you? It just makes me think about, it brings up like so many people I know who are so silly and playful and how safe they must feel. That brings up for me a sadness as well for the people that are not playful at all and yeah. how unsafe they must feel as well. Yeah, exactly. I just feel like teary and I just, I'm, I'm noticing this wave of sadness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I have the image, you know, of children. Children are very vulnerable and they, you know, if someone wants to go play and they have this a typical playground moment, like, do you want to go play with me? And it's like playgrounds, like all of human life are also, you know, a bedrock of power dynamics and exclusion mm -hmm. and inclusion. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, it's a kind of, um, it's one of the reasons I'm definitely passionate about this work because there, there are possibilities there are possibilities for opening that up and needs to be incredibly intentionally, even from the outside, it might look like you're just playing a game and that's not the case. <laughs> right. It's so much deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to give voice to the, the, the sadness or the feelings, or whatever's coming up for you right now? Yeah, I think it is just sadness to like the little one in myself and also the little, you know, the child in any and all of us who feel terrified to be creative and playful in front of other people that there is like a wound or wounds there that have shifted to move away from heart and body centered you know authenticity towards more like intellectual protective predict and control your situation plan in advance what you're you know what i mean um because that spontaneity piece is also a part of play and creativity. So I, I don't know, I'm just feeling a lot of compassion for the microaggressions that, you know, a lot of folks maybe have experienced um, that have gotten in the way of them being able to show up to life more fully and more playfully. Mm -hmm. um, you yeah. had this beautiful question before of what needs to die for wow. people to sprout playfully and freely from the ground, all people with all kinds of backgrounds, what needs to, to die? I think shame. Yeah. Like that unhealthy traumatic shame, right? Cause like, you know, I was learning about this in my, in my somatic training um, that, you know, like shame has a biological function. It, it's important when it's healthy, natural kind of shame, it has a biological function of making sure that we don't do hurtful, harmful things to one another. It's an inhibitor. It inhibits us, right, from 
doing toxic things, harmful, abusive things. And it's actually in service of social belonging, right? It's like, oh, because I feel shame, if I was to steal from you, hurt you, degrade you in any way, I'm actually, because it's inhibiting me, shame inhibits me to do that. It's actually encouraging and supporting me to be in good connection and healthy, loving, sustainable connection with people. But then at some point, again, it like, it becomes generalized. And it's like, now it's not that if I do this thing, then there's shame, but it's like, I am the bad thing. Like my essence, it gets attached. And that's why identity related traumas are so confusing because you can't change them. If I'm getting discriminated against for, you know, the way I look, the color of my skin, my gender, these are things that, or my sexual orientation, the shame isn't going to be about a behavior that I can change. It's going to be about me. So that needs to die. But it's so scary because that becomes attached to the essence. It's like, okay, I'm trying to get this thing off of my arm, but it's attached to my arm now. I got to take my arm off too? Like, I don't, right? So how do we discern? How do we take and cut and kill, you know, shame out of our system? How do we let it go? How do we let it die? And trusting that what will remain is still our essence because some of us, our entire lives have been shaped by shame and surviving shame, fighting shame, even that becomes like woven in the fabric of one's being, right? So it's like something that, you know, I'm thinking of, um, there's this burr, I don't know if what's called, but there's this weed that my dog always would like walk into and it would just like weave itself into his fur somehow. And we'd bring him back inside. I was like, how did, how did one grazing across this weed, like all of a sudden, just like go so deep into your fur, we would spend like an hour trying to get it out and it would be on the couch and it would be on the floor and it would be, and that's what it feels like. It's just like weaves right in there. Um, so it's like, I know what needs to die. It's the fear and the shame, but it's like, how, mm. how do we, you know, put this thing to rest. Um, and that's a big inquiry that I, you know, I, I, it's something I think about a lot. And it's something that I do a lot in my work is like, how do we rid ourselves of this? Yeah. I'm curious if, I don't know, any thoughts or anything. Well, I would say it's just so well explained. It's like, there's a conflation of the action and the essence of who you are that shame actually has a good social purpose for the actions. But then we did get all confused and it's like, I'm the shameful thing. And, but like you say, the burr, you can't get it off your arm. You can't get it off. So for me, the, um, yeah, it just, it, it really offers insight into mm -hmm. what is healthy shame and what is shame that is not, not actually ours to hold. Mm -hmm. I guess a question I have, or I, where it brings me in my thinking is as a premise of this podcast is that you, is that that playful spirit can be brought to the most challenging situations whether that's conflict or use words like petrified or terror mm. or in this case talking about shame so i guess a point of inquiry is how might we explore those dynamics in a playful way mm. and perhaps heal in a playful way because i think uh i think that the the answer or the end goal is actually found and woven into however we navigate or the supposed solution exploration so I guess I the question that. is, how might we explore terror and shame in ourselves in gentle, safe, and playful ways? That's such a great question. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking of like a sock puppet. I was like, man, if I made, a, if I made my shame into some kind of like little caricature, like a little creature, um, just to externalize it. or even to channel it into art if there's a way to like i don't know if the, if the shame could sing a song if the shame could do a dance 
Mm. What would it be? What would it look like? What would it sound like? And that's power. That feels potent to even contemplate that. I'm like, whoa. What's the shame song? What's the the shame puppet saying exactly? Yeah, it almost feels like a portal opened up in that inquiry. Like if I really lean into that question, it's like the idea of making, the idea of shame itself being the artistic director of a project is like, well, well, then there's just nothing there to, the fear kind of in a way diminishes because it's like, It, it it's like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pretend or protect that I have shame so if I get a critical feedback about it it's like well there's nowhere deeper to go than there it's kind of like if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's giving it, that brings up so many ideas I have this uh someone who told me about the BDSM practice of um, depersonalization it's not depersonalization mm-hmm. from a psychological standpoint it's a, the practice of changing your personality for a set period of time. And it makes me wonder that idea of ch- trying on a personality or trying on a voice or connecting to that, a voice not given any space. And I wanted to ask right. you about the, I know you have a, a practice in therapy and that notion of shadow. I wanted to ask you for your, in your own words, how do you describe shadow to people? And how do you, uh, how do you sh- describe shadow and how do you work with it? Mm. Shadow to me is often the unconscious hidden parts of oneself that aren't really attuned to. It's like the neglected parts, the repressed parts, the denied parts, the shamed parts um, that the conscious or like, you know, whatever you want to call it, ego, super ego might feel embarrassed by, repulsed by. And oftentimes those shadow parts are like secretly behind the wheel in a lot of decision-making, whether that's decision-making of like relationships, who you are in love with, who you are in relationship with, what you do in life, like those parts actually have a lot of power. So part of the, yeah. And what I do with working with them is really not judging shadow and understanding that it, comes from a real place kind of like what we discussed today right like all of this fear and this shame and this embarrassment and this terror that gets in the way of creativity if we kind of follow the breadcrumbs if we follow that trail back right is very often i've never actually had an experience where someone was like no had a really great you know childhood everything was good and i don't know why but i'm just terrified of being myself like it's like i've never in like the nine years i've been working have encountered a situation where we weren't able to link it back to one or many experiences where someone's authentic version of themselves was judged or shamed right so The way that I often do shadow work is like, let's bring it into the light. It wants to be in the light. We just need to be big enough inside, brave enough and compassionate enough inside to welcome it and see what it really has to say. Because when shadow is just reacting to being repressed, we're not actually seeing shadow. We're seeing the reaction of shadow. But when we welcome it, in a neutral space, there's so much underneath that, you know, doesn't even get a chance to really breathe. And then like, I think so much healing can happen from that place of welcoming shadow and even loving and embracing shadow. I find naturally it just dissolves. It just naturally moves on. It doesn't want to be there. It doesn't mean that, you know, now we're all love and light and like there's no dark parts. Like it's a constant, you know, we're living in a world that has a lot of shadow. So we're going to always be in relationship with shadow. But yeah, I think it gets very potent when it's repressed and denied and pushed down. So that's like my big thing is just bring it into the light. 
see if you can observe it and not judge it um, and notice what the impulse is underneath. Like, what does it want? And oftentimes it's like to protect. Most of the time it's to protect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm imagining this, this practice that, I mean, there's so many practices in the world, but this one is a, this idea of sort of a shame play group where you have people uh, who join together and they share their shadow shame and it comes up and it's received in mm. open, open hands, open arms, neutrality, really, and really curiosity about what is it serving? What is that part? Why is it there? Why is it in the shadows? What would it allow it to come to the light, to be seen, to be held? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when I even name that <laughs> possibility, that group, or I, I think about groups where that intention has been there, my reaction is um, to like, that I, my reaction is that it would need to be so skillful and well held because, and with deep relationship and context, because anything not at that high level, I think it would just feel almost like an insult because these parts of ourselves are so cherished and beautiful and like fledgling parts that to bring them forward in a moment where the space is not there is just, um, <laughs> where it comes to mind is could be catastrophic. Uh, catastrophic re re-traumatizing mm -hmm. right yeah so a question for you I know you do group practice you're a group facilitator as well so what how um what is the kind of space that you want to be creating when you're with groups um and how do you create those spaces where that if not that kind of exploration but similar levels of depth could be explored what are you doing with the group to make that happen yeah, I mean, it's interesting you're asking this because I feel like creativity and um, creativity and like spontaneity were really edgy for me in group facilitation. I would hyper plan my groups to the point where there was so much fear of not doing it well that I, I was really struggling with even being like present to spontaneous things emerging in the group. And the last couple of years, I mean, because of the pandemic, I haven't done much online group Zoom stuff because of just like my technology aptitude. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna wait till it's nice outside. Um, but I've been thinking about doing like more authentic relating facilitation and I trained in AR and um, support groups where it's just like bring a thing that you're struggling with and we're just going to hold space and like offer whatever it is that you would need. So I don't know if like I have a clear answer on, you know, like how I would create these spaces and stuff because my internal process has been changing and shifting so much as I'm healing and allowing myself to trust the spontaneity and to trust the, the kind of sensing and responding in the moment um i would be curious like if i opened if i started doing group now i mean the groups that i've done now i guess there's two things one is i'm thinking of specifically like group therapy that i haven't done much of in a, you know a handful of years but yes i facilitate group processes and i think um it's been really wonderful to see energetically how i show up differently because I've moved away from predicting and controlling and I've moved towards sensing and responding. So even like my group um, prep, my prep time is a fraction from what it used to be. It was like very type A, you know, everything is scheduled perfectly. Um, and now it's more just like, just show up and let's see what happens. Mm just show up and let's see what happens. And what allows that to feel safe enough for me and I hope for my participants is that like the foundation of that is I do always begin with a set of agreements that everyone has to partake in. Otherwise we renegotiate what the agreements are. And so it really kind of reflects what you were saying earlier as about like safety is a prerequisite to play and creativity. 
It's exactly that. So like, that's kind of what I'm left with now after years of doing facilitation is like, it's not about how much I've prepared. Sure. It's important to have a skeleton of like what I'm going to do, but a big thing is like, is there safety and is there a collective reality that we're coming in with? Like how we're going to speak to each other, what we're going to tolerate and not tolerate. Um, does that answer that question? It totally, yeah, and that, those group agreements and that sense of what can you tolerate together, it, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the, sounds like you have, like you said, the group therapy and the group process, and there's lots of possibilities for creating those kinds of spaces. Yeah. Something I'd like to explore with you um, as a sort of a last theme here would be this notion of conflict and how we, sometimes we take the risk and we do the thing and suddenly and someone does not react well to it or they're like nah, reject us mm. or sometimes we do all this work and we are really trying to you know be intentional in our relationships you can do the authentic relating for instance and again you're receiving from your sort of conflict partner a different angle mm. a different or you know they're having a bad day and the words come out with a bit of fire i'm curious just for for you as a as a practitioner as a person how do you how do you engage in those moments of conflict and also again where and where is there spaces to engage playfully with that yeah i love that question i've thought so much about conflict and conflict resolution in the last handful of years just seeing you know people getting called out people getting called in people getting dragged sideways from you know things that have happened in communities that I'm either a part of or close to and what I would share is that the like the resolution or the the outcome of how conflict can be moved through is so heavily dependent on the container if there's no container and there's no consent in even engaging in conflict, then the way a person's nervous system is going to show up is going to be so different compared to like, you know, let's say, you know, I'm going for lunch with a friend and she just sort of without checking in starts to give me critical feedback about something that I've done. The way that's going to land for my nervous system, even if my brain and my heart want to receive this information from an ethical standpoint or a moral standpoint or my politics are in line with it all of that stuff cerebrally can be like check 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 but we're still human animals and we have these bodies and anybody giving us critical feedback anybody you know um expressing anger or expressing discontent or dissatisfaction it's going to land it's going to, it's going to feel prickly. There's going to be a, you know, a like surprise element and also potentially a defense element. Right. So I often encourage folks like to really be intentional about conflict, like carve out some time, get consent. Oh, and here's the other thing. If I, if I go to get consent from someone that I'm in conflict with and I say, Hey, I, you know, want to give you some feedback about something that didn't sit so well for me from our hangout or from this or that. Are you available? And they say no. Well, then it's actually a good thing that I asked because it's just as dangerous for the person giving the feedback for that to get dropped. Because it's vulnerable to also give feedback, right? So for both sides, it's like an increase in safety and an increase in containment to be like, okay, we both consent. We both know what we're getting into. And then just things like a time container, like, okay, how much time are we going to spend on this? Take a break again, because it's personality versus biology. Your personality might be like, I want to get, I want to get to the bottom of it, but your nervous system might be like, I'm hungry. I'm dehydrated. I'm actually dissociating. I don't even remember what I said. Right. So it's like, which I hear a lot of like, and I've been in conflict where, you know, the person's like, I don't even remember what we spoke about. And it's like, huh? Yeah, that, that, that is good information. It means like you overrided your nervous system 
telling you to like, this is enough and like still continued because either we're not aware that that's happening or we're, we feel bad that that's happening and we shouldn't. It's like, it's just like everybody has limits, right? So I've seen conflict resolve beautifully and I've seen people emerge from conflict with deeper, more loving, more trusting relationships because there was intentionality, there was consent and there was like a container. Mm. Um, it can make it all the different, even if the content is the same, even if it's like you did this thing and I didn't like it, one is in like a non-consensual uncontained space and one is like, okay, both parties were ready to receive and share totally different outcomes. Mm. That sense of the container, the space, and also you mentioned like you're just biologically, like, have you eaten? <laughs> have you eaten? Have you slept? Pick a day where you don't have anything to do after. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, we're animals. We have these bodies that are, you know, in service to us also being able to digest information better. So if I'm like, okay, great, let's do it on a Thursday. I'm going to be well rested. I don't have anything after. And I, and I feel a sense of readiness to receive mm. or to share. I need a couple of days, right? It's like the outcome is worlds apart. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so, so many insights. Uh, I really have this image and this image of like someone running in a park, like carrying this like, you know, long, colorful fabric. I mean, like, let's play. And that being possible when that person has done all of the container building and the self-care and yeah. the safety building themselves and the community. And then that's how, and that's possible. That same person running in another park in another moment with people who didn't have no container, no relationship, no understanding, no safety. It's kind of like a, like you can run by yourself. It's like, we're not going to join you. And there's a number of reasons for that. So I'm, I'm really, there's, there's, um, yeah. I'm just, again, having just the empathy and really recognizing that when people aren't jumping in, like having deep understanding and empathy for that, because there are real legitimate reasons for that and tending, going back to you and your partner in this conversation, tending to that um, gently. Tending to it gently. Yeah, beautifully said. That's exactly it. Being compassionate, being curious and yeah, just kind of like lovingly welcoming that shy scared embarrassed part being like it's okay buddy like you know we see you we love you and like whenever you want like you know you're welcome here and then like little bits of play can show up but mm -hmm. it's definitely not black and white it's like there's layers that peel off right so yeah layers have to be let go of layers have to die of of this kind of fear and shame so let's you know I, I i wish for all beings to just be free from yeah that toxic shame and that fear and that we all are safe enough to feel able to be playful and creative and spontaneous with each other because it's like the juiciness of life right mm -hmm. it's like really mm -hmm. what feels so alive is that Thank you. Thank you for the conversation. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me to this. Bye.